Innes Forgettance is a folk fantasy podcast set in an alternate Appalachia and faraway Celtic fort. You can help support me and this story by sharing it with your friends, posting on social media, or by clicking the link in the description to buy me a coffee. I'm glad you joined me this week, and stay safe out there in the woods. Previously on the Innes Forgiddance, after visiting Dolly Hampton, Porter rides his horse home. Spooked by a flurry of bats, the horse bucks Porter and canters away, leaving him alone in the darkness with only his lantern. Curiosity gets the better of him, and Porter ventures into the haunted forest until the never-seen approach, hissing and whispering. Porter races home, only to be interrogated by his older sister, Colleen. She says she wants to help him. But he isn't so sure. Porter in Inniscombe Porter tossed a few ears of corn onto the pile in Pa's wagon, wagging the yellow root between his teeth. He looked at his hands, large and calloused, and his arms, Still lean as they were the summer before, but this year his forearms began to ripple with muscle like the trunk of a twisted young tree. What he lacked in voice, he more than made up for in strength, and yet the memory of last night's encounter with the never-seen made his arms and legs feel hollow and shaky. Tucking his billowing linen shirt into his trousers, he adjusted his suspenders and snatched his coat from where it lay on the wagon wheel, shrugging it on as if it would disguise him from the spirits. He shoved his hands into the pockets, knocking his knuckles on something cold and hard, the artifact he'd found in the dirt. He'd forgotten to take it out. Shielding his eyes with one hand, he panned the land, thinking of rusted, buried objects and old, forgotten graveyards. Had they come from their original ancestors, the ones who brought them to Inniscombe? Did their story hold any truths for his own? Something whizzed by his ear. He started, then relaxed to see another ear of corn land atop the wagon. Colleen's laughter sounded like a bleating lamb. Almost got you. She sauntered from the corn plot in the family garden, 
dusting her hands on her dress. Your aim needs work. He bent to tighten the laces on his boots. Colleen's pointed black shoes entered his vision. Even the way her shoes scuffed and stopped seemed demanding. He sighed. You haven't talked much today, she said. Without straightening his back, he craned his neck to shoot a look at her. You know what I mean. Haven't told me anything else about your visit with Dolly. One of her eyebrows arched up. Porter snapped up, towering over his sister. No, Colleen. He'd never let himself so much as consider anything beyond friendship with Dolly Hampton, but his body didn't need permission from his conscience. A warm current ran through him. He suppressed it. Then what's got you sidetracked? You can trust your sis. Can I? He thought. He bit his lip and squinted at her. Uh, saw something, he said, in the woods. Her small hazel eyes widened and sparked with fear. Heavens, Porter. I'm safe, Collie. I had my light. She sighed. Her glance flitted around them as if searching the woods that lay far beyond the patch of clear land where their cabin sat. But of course the only floating light was the rising October morning sun. She opened her mouth to speak, but the cabin door creaked open and Great Aunt Nula stepped onto the porch, holding a loaf of something wrapped in a towel. She descended the stairs with dainty steps and walked toward them. The heat from baking had flushed her cheeks nearly as pink as her pokeweed-dyed dress, so she almost looked young despite her sixty-something years. Look at that hill of gold, she said, eyeing the harvest pile. It'll be a miracle if we all finish shucking before midnight. Where's Sal? Again, the cabin door opened and slammed shut. Pa bounded down the stairs, swinging his wide-brimmed hat onto his head. Right here. We all ready to go? Good harvest this year. Folks'll be antsy to get started. We better get going or we'll be the last ones at the Cartwrights. Pa helped Aunt Nula into the wagon and then Colleen, then strode around to climb into his own seat, patting Boris and Banjo on the shoulders as he passed them. His gait was like a march, as though he braced for confrontation. Town events tended to turn him rigid like that, even though people were cordial enough on the surface, at least. Colleen anxiously twisted a loose strand of copper curl around her fingers. Porter sighed and climbed up, taking a seat in the wagon's second row next to his sister. The empty space between Pa and Nula in the front row barely registered anymore. It had been so long since Mama had ridden into town. She had been carding wool since she'd awakened— but Porter was certain she'd be bound to her bed by the time they returned from town. The imaginary conversations had played in his head so often over the years, his conscious mind barely registered when they began. The never-seen hiss and hum when you get close to him, Mama. The vibration almost shakes your soul loose. Heavens, Porter. And there's an ancient grave out there, too. Do any Remembrance Day stories so much as mention a thing? Not a word, Port. She would lean forward then, brown eyes sparking with mischief and curiosity. Let's go out there together, you and me. See what we can find. Pa clicked his tongue and flicked the reins, and Mama's twinkling eyes melted from Porter's imagination. 
The wagon jerked and creaked, and the horses began to pull away from the home. As they ambled down the mountain, Porter looked over his shoulder just in time to catch a glimpse of a familiar silhouette in the window. She hid herself quickly, tugging the checked brown curtain back into place. Next to him, Colleen turned up her nose, pretending to be absorbed in the tall trees as the wagon bumped down the mountain slope. Dark circles rimmed her eyes, reminding Porter of how she tossed and turned the night before, whimpering in her sleep. You talked in your sleep again, he said. His sister said nothing, but her eyelids were tense with fear. Porter softened, lowering his voice. Nightmares come in awful often for you. She elbowed him, her lips tightening into a thin, white line. Porter's mouth went slack. He fixed his gaze straight ahead as they ambled down the mountain, rounding a leftward curve by the Hampton home place and a rightward curve near the Cartwrights. Why was Colleen so defensive about her dreams? Was she keeping a secret of her own? Were the never-seen closing in on her, too? His chest heated with simmering anger. So many damn secrets, like weeds overtaking a garden, choking the life out of anything good or true that tried to grow. He clenched his fists, wanting more than ever to yank them all out by the root. By the time their wagon rolled up to the Cartwrights, the sun had fully risen over the mountains. Pa hitched the wagon at one of the several troughs Al Cartwright had set out, Porter helped great-aunt Nula and Colleen down, glancing around at the pairs of patched and speckled horses slurping water and munching hay. The Cartwright cabin was small and old, its clay chinking chipped and in desperate need of patching, but the property sprawled at the base of the mountain, close enough to the town proper so most folks could walk to it, but far enough away to have plenty of room for wagons and parties. Porter scanned the distance, a jagged perimeter of unlit lanterns perched at varying heights, set in a large circle that began on one side of the cabin and ended at the other. A lantern circle, an imperative for gatherings that would continue well after nightfall. Stomping crescendoed behind them. Porter and Colleen skirted to the side of the dirt path as a herd of children charged past, led by precocious 12-year-old Winnie Bullwright. Wooden guns and toy bows and arrows and shovels slung over their shoulders, they hooted and hollered and rounded the corner of the Cartwright cabin. Porter watched them as he walked, with a dull pang of loneliness he'd long learned to repress. He'd never been one of those children, and always wondered what it'd be like to have a group of friends, a whole slew to romp with. He tried not to think of Tad. His cousin had been his only friend, but even that friendship had hung on by a fraying thread, finally snipped several years ago when Tad's older brother called Porter the cursed kid of Inniscombe, and the whispered nickname took off like fire on dry grass. All fun and games slowed to a drip after that. No running with the other boys, hunting or practicing with bows and arrows, or learning to make gourd banjos. No spontaneous trips to stuff his pockets full of candy at Clomer's general store when he was younger. The Hollis family, minus Mama, of course, still came to the bonfire gatherings, the singings, the candy pullins, and yes, the corn shuckins, 
especially if Aunt Nula was present as well. But with every year that Mama cried, the invitations came fewer and farther between. And while Colleen and Pa managed to attend the gatherings and feign friendship with folk, the rumor that Sarah Hollis's first tears fell the night her son was born left Porter largely alone. When his voice left him the year before, on his 16th birthday, it only got worse. He dropped his gaze from the rambunctious, retreating children and rested it on his scuffed boots, shoved his hands inside his wool coat, and let his shaggy brown locks drape like a curtain to hide his face. Hide, hide, as best he could. That was all he'd been able to do all these years. Try not to cause more whispering. Hit up, son, Pa said, his voice low. Porter took a breath and forced himself to straighten and swipe the hair away from his face and look at Pa's. Pa never acknowledged the whispers of the town. He stubbornly believed that Mama's crying sickness was a matter of chance, nothing more. But the rumors were inescapable. Everyone said the never-seen. The witch spirits of the woods, those haints of the holler, had cursed Sarah and Porter Hollis for a reason no one knew but everyone loved to imagine. How many nights had Porter lain awake, watching for the ghostly lights in the forest, imagining that he had the courage to dash out to them and demand why? Why curse them alone? Why curse Mama and make her cry? What did they do? What did he do? And what could he do? He had to see Davina. He had to learn everything he could about the past. The sound of fiddles and gourd shakers grew as they approached the party. Straightening, Porter drew in a breath. The smell of hot cakes, pumpkin pies, and all manner of breaded goods filled his nostrils. His stomach growled. Ho, oh, Sal! Uncle Ed Hollis, Pa's older brother, marched toward the group, soot streaking his coveralls. Pa lifted the lantern he'd brought in greeting. He looked long and thin as a string bean compared to his brother's brawn. In a rush, eh? Couldn't even bother to change out of your slops. Uncle Ed laughed and dusted his clothing with his free hand. Tom Bullwright lost his pickaxe in the East Mountain coal mine, so I got up early to work on a new one for him until shucking time. Hello, Miss Nula, Miss Colleen. You both will shine brighter than the lanterns tonight. Come on, let's get some cider. Ed was always extra friendly, as if to compensate for the suspicion of his wife, Alice, and his sons, and the rest of the town. He cast a half-smile Porter's way before walking into the shucking circle, Porter caught the eye of his aunt Alice. She quickly looked away, following her husband. Porter had heard that before his own birth, baby Colleen had adored her aunt. It was yet another relationship that had slowly soured once Porter had been born. Yet another thing his sister would forever hold against him. Pa called out greetings as they walked, and most Innis folk smiled in return, though Porter noticed many who only offered a polite tilt of the head. But Pa didn't notice, chose not to notice, not tonight. Porter pursed his lips. It was no matter. After some whiskey, Pa wouldn't notice or care at all. Ed led them to the breakfast spread, where aluminum and cast-iron bowls and pans dotted a line of wooden crates set just in front of the Cartwright's front porch. 
Ed fished a couple of aluminum mugs out of a bucket filled with drinkware and poured cider for the ladies. Sal, you need help hauling your corn and adding it to the pile? He pointed to a long, thick ridge of corn. Pa nodded. We brought more dishware to share, too. Alice reached for her husband's arm. Ed! I'll be gone just a moment, dear. Ed shot her a knowing look. Porter watched as Aunt Alice walked around the breakfast spread, ascending the porch steps and standing in the wide breezeway that connected the cabin's two pens. For a moment, she stared at her husband and Pa as they walked in the direction of the Hollis wagon, then she opened the door to the pen on the right and disappeared inside. The old familiar anger simmered in his chest. Ghosts of arguments past echoed, Just let me stay home with Mama. Why make me go? He'd shouted year after year, only for Pa to stubbornly retort, You think staying home will help matters? Town will only see it as further proof of a curse. Best bet is to act as normal as possible, son. Act like nothing's the matter. Porter gritted his jaw and leaned his head from shoulder to shoulder, popping the tension from his neck, and once again did his damnedest to pretend nothing was the matter. He followed Nula and Colleen to the breakfast spread, where Nula added her loaf to the growing collection of goodies. Then she joined her closest friend, Miss Rose Cartwright Keller, who sat on a bench, breaking off pieces of her famous taffy for a group of children surrounding her with dirty, eager hands. Porter grabbed a mug and filled it with cider, looking up at the three musicians on the porch. Will Seeley, the Kirkman's only son, fiddled vigorously while Mr. Clomer, owner of the town general store, strummed a banjo and his wife kept rhythm with two gourd shakers. Porter sipped his drink and turned to Colleen, whose eyes were fixed on that tall, brawny Will Seeley. Porter had seen girls nearly swoon over his dark brown eyes and head of black curls. When Colleen's gaze drifted to meet Porter's own, he cocked his head in curiosity. A dreamy glint had replaced her usual sharp stare. She shifted uncomfortably. What? He raised his eyebrows pulling a birch twig from his pocket and putting it between his teeth. Maybe you'll get the first red ear. Stop. First one to find it gets to kiss anyone they like. Second gets a dance. He smirked. You ain't much of a dancer. Better shuck fast. She rolled her eyes. And who would you pick? Porter shrugged. Question ain't who I would pick, he thought. It's who would pick me. He pretended the answer to the question wasn't no one. Pretended that Dolly's face didn't flash in his mind. Didn't matter anyway. He doubted he'd see any Hamptons tonight. Roger and Fiona Hampton tended to be reclusive, since Roger's wrist got a pain that wouldn't quit. Miss Myrna whispered a comment in Kirk about it being a work of the never-seen, and a rumor took off. No matter how weak the rumor, Porter understood why the family wouldn't care to socialize. He wished he had the same choice. Wished his own family wouldn't try so hard. Yet, when he shoved his own feelings aside, 
He could understand how being not entirely embraced at a town function was still often cheerier than spending time at home with the constant reminders of Mama's cryin' sickness. For Colleen and Pa and Nula, anyway. Mama tried. He could see how hard she worked sometimes to summon the energy for a game around the table at night. Porter could see that she tried. But the days following were often harder, left her even more depleted and sad. He shook his head and took a big swig of steaming hot cider. The burn brought him back to the present moment. He searched the crowd. Some of the mothers sat with their youngest children making husk dolls. Men carried bushels of corn to the shuck pile and dumped them on top. But most ate and drank, filling their bellies and moistening their throats before they began the long day's work. Laughter caught his attention, and he turned to see a trio of girls come out of the same door Aunt Alice had gone through, making their way around the musicians, holding their aprons out like hammocks full of fresh hot cakes. Twyla Bullwright, the midwife's eldest daughter, smiled easily, laughed often, sang like a nightingale, and could rarely be separated from her best friends, sisters Bethany and Lissy Ferguson. She trotted down the porch steps with smiling brown eyes, light brown hair falling from her bun in some places. Porter felt a flush in his chest at the sight of her. In a world where he wasn't the bane of the town, he wouldn't be disappointed to find a red ear of corn if it meant he'd get to dance with Twyla. Another song ended, and the crowd erupted in hoots and applause. Then the unmistakable tenor of Al Cartwright rose from the center of the crowd. Let's get shuckin'! Folks cheered. The musicians picked up another tune. Most people strode toward the corn, though several women, Nula included, went inside the Cartwright cabin to get a head start on the noon meal. Porter caught sight of Colleen perched on one of the wooden crates lining either side of the shucking ridge, tearing through husks as fast as her hands would let her. Her mouth was set in a determined smile. He made his way to the pile, intending to sit near her, but stopped. He'd let her feel normal today, like she wanted. Instead, he walked to the end of the ridge, adjusting the twig in his teeth so he could be ready to speak if necessary but listening felt more comfortable even before his voice abandoned him. He sat on a crate near Samuel Keller, Miss Rose's husband and one of the town elders, realizing too late that he'd also sat near his cousins, Tad and Davy Hollis. Davy scooted a little farther away. Tad didn't look up. How soon's too soon to bust open the whiskey, Dave grinned. Tad threw an ear at Dave's chest. Why don't you let the sun go down first? Floy Edwards called from farther down the ridge. Shuck fast, you'll find a growler of corn liquor buried somewhere in the pile. Porter eyed Samuel Keller for a reaction. The old man didn't approve of young men drinking. But Tad and Davy jabbered and shucked as if the presence of a town elder didn't bother them. Oh, Floy... Colleen leaned toward Clomer's granddaughter and called down the ridge. No one wants to see Davy all liquored up and dancing. Don't plant ideas in his pea brain. If he finds the red ear, said Tad, he'll dance with you, Colleen, and he'll stomp all over your toes for what you said. Tad. Davy looked at his brother and shook his head. 
Tad turned his attention back to the corn. Porter glanced at Colleen. She looked at Davy and flashed a smile that didn't make it to her eyes. Porter's arms tensed with the instinct to protect, but Mr. Keller spoke faster, turning to Davy. You shouldn't dance no matter with your ailing leg. Isn't that what your daddy said? His words were as loaded as a shotgun. He peered out from blue eyes that were red and veiny, his short neck and fluffy beard making him look like his head was directly joined to his collarbone. Davy's eyes widened and Porter fought down a sense of smug satisfaction. Getting a taste of what it'd be like if someone started rumors about you, hmm? he thought. It's fine, sir. Only bothers me some days. Mr. Keller kept his eyes on his corn. Comes and goes at mysterious times, it seems to me. Rachel Bullright couldn't help it either, could she? Tad stopped shucking. She's got a new idea for a remedy we'll try soon, and all will be well. Good to hear. Mr. Keller stroked his long, gray beard. When something's broken and can't be fixed, it makes you wonder. Sam Keller didn't look at Porter, but he didn't have to. The conversation slowed to a drizzle, but Dolly's words trickled in Porter's memory. Injuries, illness, problems you can touch, problems you can't. It's all the never seen. Or, that's what the town tells us. But was the town right? Every assumption about the Haints in the woods seemed only to divide the Innisfolk, putting any individual who struggled in the hot seat of suspicion. And had their suspicions ever been proven right? How could they gain greater understanding if no one would even speak of such things in a way that went deeper than gossip? What did anyone truly know about the Never Seen? And did the truth hold the key to Mama's cure? All the answerless questions seared inside him. He picked up an ear of corn and ripped the husks away, suddenly mindful of the layers upon layers upon layers, before he finally came to the corn itself. The Innis Forgettance was written, narrated, and produced by me, Leah Noel, with special appearance by David Walker. The original song, Beware the Never Seen, was written, composed, and performed by Georgia musicians Miles Landrum and Lorelei. You can find links to more of their excellent music in the show notes. Sound effects came from the kind folks at freesound.org. You can follow this podcast with behind the scenes and more on Instagram and TikTok at Leah with a pen. Ooh.